listening to Thulos, a podcast of the Ephesus School Network. Thulos explores servant leadership as an Orthodox Christian. I'm Holly Benton, your host and executive director of the Orthodox Christian Leadership Initiative. I'm excited to have Father Sergis Halverson with us. Our third session in a four-part series exploring authority and humility. Today we are going to be looking at Christ-like humility. Father Sergis was an early partner in developing the intensive program and servant leadership through the Orthodox Christian Leadership Initiative, designed to support parish leaders to lead as a servant so that their parishes and extended communities might flourish as the body of Christ. Father Sergis is Assistant Professor of Homiletics and Rhetoric at St. Orthodox Theological Seminary and Director of the Doctor of Ministry Program. He teaches courses in homiletics, rhetoric, Christian education, Orthodox Christian apologetics, and faith and science. Welcome back, Father Sergis. Thank you, Holly. It's great to be back. Today, we're going to begin exploring some examples of Christ-like humility. We talked about what authority and humility as a servant leader is not, and now we're going to begin exploring what it might look like under Christ. Yes, exactly. We've taken some time to define authority and humility apophatically, and now we're going to try to do it cataphatically. What Christ-like humility and what Christ-like authority actually are. We can jump in today with talking a little bit about Christ-like humility. The passage that comes to mind for most people is from Philippians 2. Jesus was in the form of God, but did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a servant. So what is exactly Christ-like humility? What examples of Christ-like humility can you share from Scripture or from the lives of St. Father Sergius? Just to follow up on that wonderful quote from Philippians, just to take it a little bit further, he took the form of a servant, of a slave, coming in the likeness of men. And then that next verse, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Paul, in typical fashion, he sharpens the spear and he drives it straight home. (laughs) There's no wiggle room here, right? What is Christ-like humility? It is humbling yourself, being obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Another important place for us to think about Christ-like humility is in John's gospel, where Jesus says, I can do nothing on my own authority. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just, because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. This is so important that Jesus, he actually says in John's gospel, that he is not doing anything on his own authority, which is absolutely remarkable. Here he is, the Messiah, the Christos, the anointed one. And his point is, he's doing nothing on his own authority. He is only doing the will of him who sent me. So again, right there, that's our calling, that we do nothing on our own authority. We've said this a few times already, how humility and authority in Christ are absolutely mutually reliant, right? They rely on one another. Before, earlier, we talked about how the world says that humility and authority are mutually exclusive. Well, in Christ, they are essential. You have to have both of them in order to be following Christ, in order to be obedient to Scripture. Also in John's Gospel, uh, John uh, chapter 7, a little bit of a quote here. uh, You know, when the people questioned Jesus' teaching, he said, my teaching is not mine, but his who sent me. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then he says, if any man's will is to do his, that is God's will, he shall know whether the teaching is from God or whether I'm speaking on my own authority. He, I love this line, this is verse 18, he who speaks on his own authority seeks his own glory. But he who seeks the glory of him who sent him is true, and in him there is no falsehood. 
Mm. This reminds me of what we said earlier. Remember about the that wonderful line from John the Baptist, he must increase, but I must decrease. Right. And here Jesus is basically saying the same thing. He who speaks on his own authority seeks his own glory. We're repeating something we said earlier, that any time I am seeking my own glory, I can be pretty sure that I am not doing the will of God. And I can be pretty sure that I'm not living in Christ-like humility. Let's explore some of the examples of scriptural humility, the type of humility that would please the Lord. Sure. There are a number of examples. One of the ones that comes to my mind would be in the call of Isaiah. When Isaiah is first called by the Lord, this would be in Isaiah chapter 6. And it's very interesting because Isaiah has this mystical vision. He sees the Lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up, and his train fills the temple. And above him stood the seraphim, each had six wings, with two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. One called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. Now, Holly, most of us who are you know, children of Steven Spielberg would like to stop right there and just <laughs> revel in the glory. Wow, you know, wow, <laughs> wow, you know, a special effect with like being in the Emerald City and beholding the great and terrible Oz. But then the beautiful part is that we're not dealing with Spielberg, we're dealing with scripture. And Isaiah says, woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. That has to be one of the most powerful and important examples of humility, of godly humility that we have in scripture. Because when you truly behold God, you are immediately reduced to seeing your own unworthiness. Right. This is one of the beautiful tests, if you will, for knowing whether or not you're hearing God. If you encounter God, then the first thing you'll think about is your own unworthiness. So one of the most important safety checks or reality checks for us as Christians, anytime we perceive that we have heard God or that we have come in the presence of God and we are beholding him calling us, the important thing is for us to remember if we are first reminded of our own unworthiness, our own sinfulness, our own weakness, then there's a good chance that we're actually hearing the Lord. But if I say to myself, oh, aren't I clever for having uncovered this or, or decoded this or coming to this clever interpretation? Or I think I've discerned that God is calling me to do X, Y, Z. Aren't I great and pat myself on the back? There's every chance in the world that I'm probably deceived myself. Because in scripture, you know, starting with Isaiah and there are any number of other places, when people come face to face with the living God, the first thing they do is fall on their faces and say, I am unworthy. We see this in the gospel when Jesus tells Peter to set out in the boat, go let down the nets for the catch of fish. And he does. And they bring them up when Peter has this realization that he's beholding the Messiah in Jesus. He falls on his knees, right? He falls down and says, depart from me for I am a sinful man. This is a really important thing for us to keep in mind in terms of our humility. When we encounter God, the first thing that we should be reminded of is our own unworthiness, our own sinfulness just as Isaiah did. But then, again, really important is to keep going. We can't stop there. He doesn't just say, hey, you know, I'm lost. I'm a man of unclean lips. I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. I'm out of here, right? Isaiah doesn't, you know, clothe himself in false humility and walk away. It goes on. Isaiah says, then flew one of the seraphim to me, having in his hand a burning coal, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt was taken away and your sin forgiven. This is 
amazing. It's a great example of how if God is calling us, then he will give us the grace to do what must be done. And that begins with our own forgiveness and our own cleansing, cleansing of our mind, cleansing of our heart. And then this is verses eight and nine from Isaiah six, the prophet says, and I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And then I said, here am I, send me. It's a perfect example of what it means to be called by God to recognize I'm not worthy. I can't do this on my own, but not to run away, to basically stand there, allow the seraphim to touch the coal to my lips, to purge me of whatever sin, whatever pride, whatever uncleanness might be keeping me from doing God's will. As God says, who shall I send? I say, here I am, send me. Right. And contrary to the example of Moses, who really questioned God, arguing with God, I I can't speak. I'm slow of tongue. I don't think you know what I know about me. I'm not the right person. And God says, I have you covered. Right. You know, making it all about me or like with Peter, you know, when his feet were being washed, he says, Lord, cleanse not only my feet, but my head, my whole body. And it's like, this isn't about you. If I say you're clean, you're clean. We've got business to do. Let's get on with it, you know? And so Isaiah is saying, okay, you say I'm good to go. All right, let's, let's do it. I'm ready to work. Exactly. 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 And that kind of obedience, the centurion who comes to Jesus and asks that his servant be healed, he's such a great example of that same kind of obedience that humble obedience and that exercise of Christ-like authority. Thinking about humility in the way that scripture designates it. I, I love Psalm 139. You know, we have it all all the time in our services, The how it ends, search me, O God, and know my heart, try me and know my thoughts, and see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Just that searching, know me, know my thoughts, and just keep me in check. Yes, yes, absolutely. You know, another thing too, I think that's important for us to note, this idea of realizing that God is calling me to do something and not being quite sure about it, you know, recognizing my own unworthiness, my own sinfulness. Now, of course, you know, I'm a sinful, broken person, but it's so, it's so inspiring and it's such a consolation and such a a strength to meditate on the dialogue that Jesus has with God the Father in Gethsemane. Even Christ says, you know, Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass for me. Nevertheless, not as I will, right. but as thou will. Now, of course, with Jesus, it's not a question of impurity. But there is, even in the Lord, even in Christ, there is that sense, like, wait a minute, what I'm being asked to do here is really a big deal. But nevertheless, not what I will, but what as you will, uh, Father. One last thing, too, I think is important to say about humility, is that in Christ's perfect humility, Jesus never gives up his agency. He never just rolls over and plays dead. Even when he allows himself to be beaten, humiliated, and mocked, and scourged, and paraded through the city, and nailed to the cross, and killed, he never gives up his agency. He never abandons the authority that God gives him. And so this is really important to keep in mind that in Christ, both Christ-like humility and Christ-like authority really are mutually dependent upon one another. Mm-hmm. Right. And we're really starting to see the picture being painted, how humility and authority are not divorced from each other. They are not in conflict with each other because they're fully and perfectly united within Christ who exercises the authority, the commandment, the will of his father by humbling himself, by submitting himself to the authority and commandment of his father, the will of his father. Absolutely. 
for our clergy and our lay leaders who may be listening, what are some things to keep in mind, some of the the struggles we come up against on a regular basis in serving our parishes? How can we operate with the scriptural type of humility? If we're going to operate with scriptural humility, then we must always be students of scripture. One of the most dangerous things is to say, okay, I've read scripture. I know what to do. Now I'm going to head out and do it. And that can be so bad (laughs) because the bits that I like to forget are the parts that call me to repent. Mm -hmm. I would say the first thing is if I'm going to be humble as scripture calls me to be humble, I must be humiliated by scripture, which means I must constantly put myself under obedience to the word. When I read scripture, I cannot read it and think, oh, yeah, you know what, Joe over there, he should really read this bit because he really needs to be a bit less proud or, you know, and Janet over there, you know, she really needs to read this bit because she needs to be a little bit less greedy. No, 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 no. (laughs) The point is I need to read scripture daily that every time I read it, it's on me. It calls me to repentance. That's, I think, where the humility begins. And then as I'm engaging in day-to-day discussions, as I'm, you know, as I'm collaborating and working with my brothers and sisters in Christ, whatever it is that we're doing, two things. One, I need to always remember, and this is in humility. So that's not false humility. So I'm not saying like, oh, I don't know anything. I mean, look, I've, I've read some scripture. I've done some studies. To the best of my ability, I think this is what we're called to do. I think this is how we should do X, Y, Z. And this is why I think so. But then I also need to remember Maybe I'm wrong. It's possible that I don't have the full picture. As we mentioned before, if our deliberations are rooted in a discussion of scripture, then we're going to have the best chance. I mean, there's no 100% chance that we can say, oh, I totally have the will of God nailed and I, I am not in need of correction because I'm a sinful, broken person. But if we're fundamentally reflecting on scripture and somebody says, hey, Brother Sergius, I think you might be mistaken here because have you read this? I can say, thanks be to God. That's right. There are two things there. One is always put myself, actually three things, always put myself under the obedience of scripture, always be willing to be corrected and be willing to say, oh, look, I might've been mistaken in what I was saying. And the final thing is when I am corrected, this is the most important and hard part to give thanks to God. That's right. You know, nine times out of 10, I probably fail on that one. Because if someone says, I think you might be wrong on this, what's my first reaction? Oh, well, who are you to tell me that I'm wrong, right? (laughs) But in fact, it's a great blessing to receive correction and say, look, I I think I was maybe mistaken there. Thanks be to God. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I love even having the notion, the idea of humility shaped by scripture. It's not some sort of, you know, I want to be known as a humble person, so I'm going to avoid conflict at all costs and always let other people go before me. Whatever notion we have of what it means to be humble may be mistaken if we're not submitting in humility to what scripture is saying. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's important just to start off every morning, wake up and say, look, I'm not humble. And I know God calls me to be humble and Lord, teach me humility. Of course, this is probably something that you've mentioned before, but I remember from my classes with Father Paul Tarazi at seminary, that I remember very well, is he said, you cannot be humble if you have not been humiliated. Mm. Cannot be humble if you have not been humiliated. And that's not a word that's easy to hear, but it's true. I mean, that is the scriptural word. That is a biblical scriptural word. And I think it's a very hopeful word in ministry, no matter what we're called to do. In Christian ministry, there are going to be times that we mess up, right? There are going to be times that we think we got this nailed and it just goes just right down the drain or things blow up or whatever it might be. You're a parish priest and you think you've crafted the most beautiful sermon ever. And it turns out that, you know, a handful of people are calling the bishop right after liturgy, like, oh my gosh, what did I do, right? 
But the point is that when, not if, but when we fail, when we're humiliated, when things go horribly wrong, to give thanks to God, not because I'm saying like, oh, thanks be to God, I, I made a mistake and I hurt people or I confused people, but rather to give thanks to God because it's an opportunity for us to repent. That's right. It's an opportunity for us to say, look, I'm not perfect. And to ask for forgiveness, mm -hmm. to say, you know, forgive me. And when we started, we're, we're in the season of Lent now. You begin the Lenten season with the forgiveness vespers where we ask one another forgiveness. So that's the way we should live all the time. So again, the idea that not if, but when we are humiliated, please don't mistake me. I'm not saying go out and do something scandalous so you're humiliated. Do your work to the best of your ability. But when you are humiliated, then give thanks to God because then you know God has the opportunity to lift you up and put you on the right track. Like the prophet Isaiah can say, woe is me, I am undone. I'm a man of unclean lips, but then allow the Lord to touch the coal to my lips, purge me, and then get back up and, and continue with the work. Wonderful. So next week, we are going to end our series and discuss Christ-like authority. You've already given us a glimpse. There's no Christ-like authority without Christ-like humility. It comes together so perfectly in the example that we have in Christ. So looking forward to next week, Father. Me too. Thank you, Holly.